Well, let's take a look at Zechariah chapter 9. Please do have it open in front of you, uh, and let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is useful for us and that you speak to us through it. And I pray tonight that whether we have heard the Palm Story Sunday uh, a million times or whether it's new to us, that you would speak to us afresh tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, during coronavirus, a lot of us got shopping online, and we did a lot more shopping online than we used to. And one of the websites that started to flash up, I started to see it all over the place, was a website called Wish. And Wish is a wonderful website because you can get all sorts of wonderful things on this website. But the reality is that very often whenever these things come, they're not quite what people expected, often leaving them hugely disappointed, like the person who ordered these earpods. They hoped to get them, they ordered them a wish, and they arrived, and they were that size. Or the person who thought they were getting a really good deal on toilet roll, and then it arrived. This website, don't buy from it. Do not buy from it. You will be disappointed. You'll be expecting to get one thing, but when it arrives, it will be something that's similar but not the same, and you'll be left very, very disappointed. Now, on Palm Sunday you had a lot of people who were very, very excited. But my guess is that whenever you get to next Sunday, whenever you get to Easter Sunday, those people will be very, very disappointed. Because Jesus, in their minds, did not deliver what they expected him to. Now, do you understand what they expected? As I said from the start, we gotta go back to the book of Zechariah. Is anyone's favorite book in the Bible here the book of Zechariah? No. Have some of you not even read the book of Zechariah? My guess is yes. It is a strange book. If you read it, you'll find eight very weird dreams. Uh, you'll find Zechariah explaining the dreams to God's people. It's a book that we don't really talk about very much. It's a book that we don't explore very much. But yet in the book of Zechariah, we have this very significant promise and prophecy that Zechariah made. But let me try and set the context for you a little bit. We've all seen the war in Ukraine. It's horrendous. We've seen Kiev looking like this. This is a picture from Kiev. It has been destroyed. These beautiful, glorious buildings that once were are no more. The significant city that once was is now no more. It is in ruins. It's dilapidated. And the people there, they're, they're obviously distressed about this. Well, when we read the book of Zechariah, we're, we're going to a similar situation. We're going to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, at one stage, it was this vibrant city, this beautiful city, this significant city. But when we arrive in Jerusalem, in the book of Zechariah, it has been destroyed. It's been destroyed at this stage. And the people, God's people, the Jews, they've been living in exile. They've been taken away. Imagine the Ukrainians are taken to Russia and kept there for years and they return to Kiev. That's kind of like what's happened here. God's people, they were taken away. They've been prisoners in Babylon. They've been set free and they've gone back home to their beloved Jerusalem. And it's in ruins. And they're weeping. They're going to rebuild it, but they're weeping. It's not like it was. It's not the city it was. It's not as significant as it was. 
and the people are heartbroken. But in this situation, God says something to them and he says to them, rejoice, rejoice. Why does he say that? Rejoice, rejoice. Our city's wrecked. Why is God saying to rejoice? And it's because of this. Look what God says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. See your, oh, I've cut a wee bit off there. Uh, I don't even have Zechariah open in front of me. Isn't that terrible? Does someone want to read it for me? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Very good. Brilliant. This wasn't even meant to be interactive and it's turned out that way. Isn't that really good? Great. But the first thing you see there is it says, rejoice, see your king comes to you. Now that's really significant because in the Bible, God has been promising that there's going to be a king. This wonderful king, a king that he's going to set in place, a king who's going to rule in justice and righteousness, this wonderful king who's going to come from the line of David. And God's people have been in Babylon and they've come back and they're questioning, what about this king God promised? It's a really disappointing time. Our city's wrecked. What about this king? But God says to them, rejoice. O Zion, rejoice, O Jerusalem, because your king comes to you. So God is promising that one day the king is going to come to Jerusalem. This city that's in ruins is one day going to be rebuilt. And God says, rejoice, the king is coming. And then Zechariah goes on and he just reminds them what this king is going to be like. He's going to be unlike any other king in the history of the world. Have a look at the next slide there. We read it there. What does he say? He says that the king is righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Hey, Jerusalem, listen. The king is going to come to your city one day. God's not done with you. And the king, when he comes, he is going to be righteous. He's going to be a good king. He is going to do the right things. He is going to think the right way. He is going to rule justly. He's going to be gentle as well. Not a tyrant. Not one who's going to browbeat people into submission. No, he's going to be a a gentle king a good king, a righteous king. And then it goes on, and he says what the king's going to bring. And this king, when he comes, he's going to have salvation with him. He's bringing salvation. Now, at this stage in history, and in fact the whole way right up until Jesus, there was really only one way the people understood this. You see, Jerusalem, even now, it's surrounded by its enemies. If you look at Israel on the map, And you look around it, it is surrounded by enemy countries. And it's always been like that. And so whenever Zechariah says, the king's coming and he's going to bring salvation, in their minds, what that means is they're going to stop these other countries from attacking them. The king's
king's going to come and he's going to be like a political figure or a warrior and he's going to fight against these other nations and he's going to save the people from them. He's going to stop them attacking them. He's going to bring them safety and security. That's the salvation that these people expected. Are you with me so far? Jerusalem's wrecked. A good king's coming. He's going to bring salvation. And everyone understands this as being saved, being saved from the enemies around them. And then Zechariah goes on and he, he makes it very clear how they'll know who this king is. Righteous and having salvation, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, John mentioned it this morning. You can't not mention it when it's Palm Sunday. The donkey's really important. But you see what Zechariah says? He says, Zechariah says, listen, you're gonna know this king because he's gonna come into Jerusalem and he's not gonna be in a white horse. He's gonna be on a donkey. That's weird, okay? Strange. But that's how we're gonna identify the king. That's how the Jews and, and those waiting for this promise to be fulfilled, that's how they'll know who the king is. He'll come in on a donkey. And then it says, Zechariah tells the people what God is going to do through the king. And what God is going to do through this king sounds incredible. Have a look at what it says. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. Now, we're used to tanks as kind of military weapons, aren't we? We're used to RPGs, we're used to that sort of stuff. Well, this is the language of tanks and RPGs. God says that through the king, he's gonna take away the need for chariots. He's gonna take away the need for battle bows. He's gonna take away the need for war horses. This is a declaration of God saying that through this king, peace is going to come between peoples. This king is going to bring peace between nations. He's going to bring peace between individuals. He's going to bring peace. And not only is he going to bring peace, but look at the next thing. Here's what the king himself is going to do. He's going to proclaim peace. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He's going to tell the nations how they can have peace. He's going to tell the nations that peace is on offer. And not only that, but he is going to rule. He is going to rule, have a look what the text says, from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This king, says Zechariah, is going to have a global rule. He is going to rule in every land. He is going to rule in every place. He is going to rule over the whole earth. Now, if I have lost you, the good news is I've done a little summary slide just to summarize all that. So let's check that out. So God's king, he's going to come to Jerusalem. He's going to be righteous, humble, and gentle. He's going to ride into the city on a donkey. He's going to bring salvation. He's going to bring peace. He's going to speak peace to the nations, and his rule will span the globe. Are you with me so far? Excellent. Now, this is the promise, Okay. This is the promise that was given to the people of God. This is the promise that people have been clinging to, believing, trusting. They've got their own ideas how this promise is going to be fulfilled, 
But this is the promise that God gave. And then we turn to John chapter 12. Then we arrive at Palm Sunday. And in verse 12, we read these words. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus had been avoiding Jerusalem. Jesus had been doing ministry in lots of different towns and cities, but not Jerusalem. But when we come to John chapter 12, we hear that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Do you hear the echo of Zechariah 9? Do you hear it there? Okay, so he's on his way to Jerusalem. Let's go to verse 13. The people there, they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now look at that last bit. Blessed is the king of Israel. Do you see who the people think this is? Is it starting to click with you? Do you see who, who do they think it is? They think it's the one promised in Zechariah 9. Here he is. Here's Jesus. He's the king. He's the promised one. He's on his way to Jerusalem. They're excited. They're delighted. They're waving the pram branches. Here comes the king and he's coming to rule and he's coming to reign and he's coming to bring peace and he's coming to bring salvation and he's coming to do all the things that Zechariah said. And what does Jesus do? Does he say, no, 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 that's not me? No. <laughs> Jesus does something very, very intentional. He does something which says, yes, yes, I am exactly who you think. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one from Zechariah 9. Because what does Jesus do? Look at verse 14. He's intentional here. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Jesus hears them shouting. Here's the king coming. And Jesus goes and he gets a donkey and he sits on it. And when he sits on it, he's saying, yes, here comes the king indeed. And we're told there, it's the fulfillment of Zechariah. He sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion, see your king comes seated on a donkey's colt. Jesus, as he is riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he's saying that he's the king of Zechariah 9. He's saying that he's the king that God promised. He's saying that he's the one who's coming to bring salvation, who's coming to bring peace, who's coming to do all of the things that Zechariah said that he was going to do. Now, can you see why the people would have been really disappointed the next week? Can you see why they would have been disappointed? The next week, he was dead. He died. He died on a cross and, and he'd risen again. But at that stage, even after he'd risen, many people didn't know he'd risen until later on. At that stage, in people's minds, a week later, these crowds, Jesus was just someone who rode into Jerusalem and died. He didn't go in and sit on a throne. He didn't kick out the Roman Empire. He didn't bring this political change. 
didn't set up some sort of army to protect Jerusalem and Israel. He came in and he died like a criminal. Put to shame on a cross, hung naked, bleeding. A bit of an embarrassment. You can actually imagine the people must have felt a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> Do you remember last week we thought he was coming in to, to set up his kingdom? Do you remember how excited we got last week? We got the palm branches out and we threw our coats down and we all cheered and we threw this big party. How foolish were me? How foolish were we? You can imagine that, can't you? You can imagine the disappointment. But in John's gospel, it tells us something really, really interesting. If you have a look at verse 16, so basically, John has just quoted Zechariah, so he's, he's referring to the promises and all of that stuff, but then he says this, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. They didn't understand, how could Jesus be the Zechariah promised person and die and rise again? I don't get it. At first, they didn't understand all this. But then it says, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and they had done these things to him. What it's saying there is that the disciples didn't get it until Jesus ascended to heaven. But maybe you're here tonight and you're scratching your head. Okay, Marty, you told us what Zechariah promised. And now you've told us that Jesus was the king. But Marty, Jesus didn't do the things Zechariah said. He didn't bring the salvation that the Jews were expecting. Didn't kick the Romans out. Didn't set up political peace. Didn't protect them in the future. Did he bring peace? Marty, the world is full of war today. Jesus is the king. I mean, what about Ukraine? What about Russia? Did he proclaim peace? What's that all about? And as for his global rule, Marty, 20 minutes ago you were praying for the likes of the leader of North Korea. Where's Jesus' rule and where's his reign? Where is the, where is the fulfillment of Zechariah 9? Well, something we need to remember tonight is that Jesus does not do things how we expect him to. Jesus does things in very unexpected ways. Jesus breaks expectations, in fact, the whole way through the Bible. People expected the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem, but they certainly didn't expect him to be born in a stable, did they? They expected him to be healed on his arrival to earth, but not by shepherds and pagan kings. The Jews did not expect him to grow up in Galilee, certainly not in Nazareth, nor did they expect him to be the son of a tradesman. When he went missing for three days, his parents, they didn't expect to find him in the temple studying the scriptures. No one expected him to appear as a rabbi in his 30th year and kind of pulled together a bunch of fishermen to be his disciples. That was unexpected. No one expected him to confront the self-righteous religious leaders of the day and yet seem to welcome sinners. No one expected that of him. 
the widow of Nain didn't expect him to turn up during her son's funeral and bring her son back to life. No one expected the son of David to be convicted of blasphemy and sentenced to death. And nobody, nobody expected him to rise three days after he had died. You see, Jesus fulfills every promise that was made about him. But he does it in very unexpected ways. He brought salvation. He didn't bring the salvation that people were expecting. He bought and brought a better salvation. He came and he, he didn't go into Jerusalem and sit on the throne. He, he went into Jerusalem and he, and he died on a cross. And with that death, he bought a salvation and brought a salvation that was unimaginable. He made a way for people to be saved from the wrath and punishment of God for sin. He made a way for salvation of all people who will trust in him. The salvation Jesus brought was much better than a political salvation. It was a spiritual salvation. It was a a real salvation. It was an eternal salvation. He died on that cross that we might be saved. Amazing. What about peace? The world's full of war, isn't it? What about this peace? How does Jesus bring peace? Do you know, one of the most incredible things that happens whenever people become Christians is that not only do they find peace with God, which they do, but suddenly peace fills their hearts. They have this peace with God and it changes their heart to such an extent that they can find peace with their fellow men, even if they are completely and utterly opposed in many other ways. The Jewish Christian who comes to faith in Christ and the Muslim Christian, the Arab Christian who comes to faith in Christ, when they put their faith in Christ, suddenly they can relate to one another and have peace. The nationalist and the unionist, when they find trust in Christ, there is a bond and a peace and a brotherhood that comes between them. Isn't that true? Am I making that up or is that the way it is? It's the way it is, isn't it? It's amazing, this thing that Jesus does. He brings peace between people who in every other realm of life would be enemies. And yet when Christ comes to rule and reign in hearts, he brings peace with God and then peace with other men and women. He also came to proclaim peace to the nations. What I love about the gospel is that Jesus says it's to be preached all over the world. This message, this good news, that people can have peace with God and peace with each other and salvation from their sins and salvation from the wrath that they deserve, Jesus says, go and tell it to everybody. Doesn't matter where they're from, doesn't matter what their language is, doesn't matter what their background is, the message is that people now can have peace with God through my death and resurrection. And what about this global rule? Here's a question. Has it not happened? If you go out to the the west coast of Ireland, will you find people there who are living with Jesus as their king? 
You will, won't you? If you go down to the farthest parts of Cork and you go down to the, the furthest part away in the coast and you go there, will you find people there who have Jesus as their king? If you go up to Port Stewart, you certainly will. Tell you what, if you go to the farthest side of America, if you go to the farthest side of China, wherever you go in the world today, you will find people everywhere in every nation scattered across the globe who live with Jesus as their king. And what you'll be finding is that as they share Jesus with others every single day, more and more people will be bowing the knee and coming to put their faith in Jesus and live with him as their king. Friends, we live in a world where Jesus is known and trusted and worshipped and followed everywhere. And I know that in the West, we kind of feel like the church is dying a bit and all of that stuff. Christendom's dying. Religiosity's dying. Tradition's dying, but the kingdom of God is not dying. God is on the move and he's bringing people to faith in his son. He's bringing people under the rule of Christ. You know, Jesus, he, he didn't do these things the way that people expected. Very disappointed people on Easter Sunday. But I think he did them in a way that was better. I was to be friends with, uh, I lived in Malahide and um, the clerk of Cessna there, his son was the edge from U2. And um, it was impossible to get U2 tickets. And um, I said to Garvin, Garvin, any chance that, you know, I could get some tickets? And he says, he was Welsh. I'll not even do a Welsh accent because <laughs> it'll just sound Indian and then that's awkward. So anyway, he just, he says, yes, yes, no problem. He says, I'll get you, I can get you tickets. Um, and you had to pay for them and all. So that was fine. Paid for the tickets. And it was great. It was at the SSC Arena up in Belfast. So I went and I queued up at the box office and I got my tickets. It was great. But I got more than I expected. I got this little lanyard. Oh, nice lanyard and read the lanyard and oh you're invited to go to such and such a suite before the gig great we were there early it was brilliant so em and i went and we went into this suite and uh, there was just endless amounts of food and drink you could have for free and that was lovely and so we had a chat and you know look for some celebrities um Gillian Simmons wasn't there. I was really disappointed. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that was great. And then what was really good is when we went into the gig, Emma's five foot one. Concerts are not her place, you know. She can't see anything. We went into the gig, and there was these steps into this raised area. And with our little lanyard, we could get into the raised area, and we could see the gig, and it was brilliant. And Emma, it's the first concert she's ever seen in her life. <laughs> she's going to hope she doesn't listen to this on the podcast. <laughs> but, but what we got... What we got that night was just even better than we expected. And that is what we get with Jesus. It's better than we expect. The salvation he brings is better. The, the quality of peace is better. All that he brings is better. And tonight I just want to finish by, by saying this. That one day the king will come back. He came to Jerusalem the first time and he, and he rode on a colt of a donkey and he comes bringing salvation and he comes offering peace and he, and he comes and he tells us to preach peace to the nations. He comes and he, and he brings us something even better than, than, than we could have even imagined back in Zechariah 9. 
But the Bible tells us that, that one day he will come back again. And this time he, he will come back on a horse. He'll come back on a war horse. And he will set up his, his rule completely over the, over the world. And it's going to be wonderful when he does. Because all the stuff like we see in Ukraine, all of the war, all of the violence, all of the sin, all of the sickness, all of the death, when Jesus rules having put all of his enemies under his feet, all the stuff that makes this world difficult and hard will be gone because we'll be living under the rule and reign of a wonderful, wonderful, gentle, humble king. Tonight I just want to encourage you, don't see Jesus as a tyrant king. Don't see him as a king who's there to to ruin your fun, who's there to rule with an iron fist, who, who wants to be your king so he can control you. That's not the Jesus we meet in the Bible. We meet a loving king, one who wants you to live his way so you can know life in its fullness and its sweetness and its beauty and its wonder and its purpose. Bow to the king. Let Jesus rule in your heart. Let him rule in your life and enjoy living under his kingship. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are high and exalted. You are glorified. You sit at the right hand of your Father tonight on your throne as the King of heaven and earth. Oh Lord Jesus, help us tonight to recognize that you're a loving king and a tender king and a king who wants the best for us, a king who died to rescue us, a king who died to bring us into your kingdom and into your family. Lord Jesus, help us tonight to recognize what it means for you to be our king and to live with you as the ruler of our life. Lord, thank you for this Palm Sunday. Thank you that you came to Jerusalem on that day. Thank you that you brought things that were even better than expected and help us to enjoy those we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.